So I, I, I can't get the, your love changes everything. Your love changes everything. That's true. It's true, and that's what I'm asking that the Spirit of God does this morning, is the Spirit of God would release a fresh impartation of his love. Some of you are like, you're thirsty for love this morning. I am. I'm thirsty for his love this morning. And so I'm asking that God would just blast little church by the sea. Just pour out his love on us. And he already has. Just feeling it as we were singing and we were worshiping. His love means everything. That's what Jesus is. God is love and Jesus is love. So, just had a really, had some special moments uh, in my week. Uh, Nikki and I celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. I went, (laughs) I, I went to the doctor and I got all great numbers on my checkup. So like I'm healthy and feeling great. Yeah, I, I'm not asking for any more applause. Thank you very much. <laughs> but thank you. And then I watched uh, Dylan, my grandson, play two games of flag football at the uh, Great Park at Irvine in, on Friday night, and they lost both the games. But I just got the biggest thrill out of watching him run around out there and pulling flags. He intercepted a pass, you know, and I love that. And then uh, we had two great answers to prayer this week. Uh, as we prayed over the church in, in the morning, uh, one was just some... Some people in the family that had been had been had broken down in their relationship, and and we prayed, and God healed some broken relationship. And I just don't think there's anything more precious to God than when we have a relational breakdown, and then God brings healing and reconciliation to it. I think that's just very very special on God's heart. And then Friday, uh, Friday night, uh, Alex Phillips' dad, uh, Art, who's 95 years old, Alex is over next door right now leading the children in worship. He had emergency surgery, 95 years old, and Alex sent out a, 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 just a quick prayer crisis thing to us, and we all prayed. And the guy, 95 years old, just sailed through the operation, and, just, and, and Alex came into the upper room on Saturday morning, just so happy, and we all clapped, and we were all, all just feeling so good because of God's graciousness. So, so that, was, that was a part of my week, a great part of my week. But then also, on the other side, I got a, a, a FaceTime phone call from Sanctuary, Thailand, where Roland, the facilitator of the lady that oversees our ministry there, we, we rent a home, and we take kids off the street and raise kids there, uh, called to tell us that, that one of the young girls we've had for six years had, had run off with her boyfriend. And we didn't quite know. We knew she was somewhere around, around but we didn't quite know where she was. And, and Roland, you know, feeling like the mom that, that she really is, just broke down. And I mean, this is a strong, gritty Filipino leader, you know. And I've known her for 20 years, and I've never seen her break down and weep like this. And it was like a mom, you know. Uh, you know, uh, weeping over her son or her daughter. You know, David says, Lord, forgive me for the sins of my youth. <laughs> we always, I can look back when I was 15, 16, 17. Anybody else do any stupid stuff like I did? I, I, I did some stupid stuff, you know. 
and, and, uh, and so Sarah, her name is Sarah, S-E-R-A-H. Pray for Sarah. Uh, a team of us are, are going to Thailand in, on the 20th of this month, and we're going to look for her, and hopefully she'll be back. And I told Roland, whenever you really love someone, whenever you pour love into someone, even if they do something stupid and run off, they're going to come back. Because when you experience real love, you're going to always come back to it when it's, when it's real. And then Gavin Heath, uh, uh, my dear friend who's a glassblower in town at the Sawdust, called me and, and said that, that uh, uh, one of our good friends, another fellow artist in town who's been sick, was failing, and, and so we, we reminisced about her. So as, as I was preparing this message, I, I, thought, about, I thought about the the highs and lows of life, the ups and downs, the times we're on the mountaintop and the times we're in the valley, the successes and the failures, the wins and the losses, the strengths and our weaknesses, the time we pray for people and they're healed and the times we pray for people and they're not healed. And I thought about the delicate balance of life and how unpredictable life can be. So I, I put two verses up as kind of an introduction to my message this morning. Uh, I often use these uh, in, in other places and other times, other kind of events. Uh, as for man, and this is very familiar to a lot of you because Psalm 103 is so beloved. As for man, his days are like the flower of the field, and so he flourishes for a time. But when the wind has passed over it, the flower is no more. It is gone. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16, and then Psalm 39, 4, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I might realize how truly transient I am. And so I just think it's incumbent upon us, and this passage that we're looking at today is going to reflect this. I think it's really incumbent upon us to always keep in mind how fragile, how temporary, and how changeable life can be. I was thinking about this. I probably officiated maybe a dozen memorials or funerals last year, and I would say about half of those I officiated were, uh, were folks that passed way sooner than anybody expected. Just giving an example about the fragility of life. And in our passage to, today, Jesus uh, is going to tell us, and he's going to show us how unpredictable a life can be. That life is changeable uh, in a moment. Uh, as Jeff shared last week, there are times of suffering, but there are also cataclysmic times that take place in our life, and this is exactly what our passage is going to be looking at. A cataclysmic event uh, that Jesus is going to talk about, actually two cataclysmic events that he'll be uh, talking about. We're in Luke chapter 21. It is, uh, it is a powerful chapter. It's been called the Olivet Discourse, but also it's been called the Little Apocalypse and also the Little Book of Revelation. And if you, uh, and if you study the book of Revelation, you'll see uh, pictures and shadows uh, in Luke 21. Luke 21, uh, chapter 21 in Luke, parallels uh, Matthew 24, and it parallels Mark chapter 13. So in other words, 
in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the same discourse. It's called this, this, this discourse that is a discourse of the future. It is Jesus uh, predicting what's going to take place. Jesus is two days away from the cross. And so it's not surprising that he is going to talk about the future and he, he is going to be sparked. He's going to be inspired to talk about the future because as he's teaching uh, in the temple area, the disciples and the others that were listening to his words begin to marvel at the temple in which they were all hovering about. They begin to marvel at the temple and how majestic and how glorious it was about the beauty of this temple. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a photograph of it up here, if I could have the next slide. I wish a little bigger. This is the, now you have to remember here, the temple, we think of the temple as just the edifice, just the central part where the holy place or maybe the holy of holies was. But the temple actually... The temple took, it's all right, it's all right that the phone rings. It's all right that the phone rings. I just think it's a, a, a call from God just to help me speak better, actually, I think it is. So check it out. This temple covered 35 acres, almost 20% of Jerusalem. The walls are 16 feet thick, all right? The the and they're nine stories tall. The stones upon stone upon stone, every one of them weighed 80 to 105 tons. Every stone. And talking about cataclysmic events, Jesus is going to say to the disciples and those who are there, there's a time coming, he doesn't tell them exactly when it is, in which one stone will not be left upon another and that, like, this is inconceivable. It is inconceivable to the, to the disciples that that area, which was, this temple was made of white marble. It had porches and colonnades, and it had courtyards. It was beautiful. And it just, you just It'd be like somebody coming in here and saying, hey, you know, in five years, Laguna Beach is going to be no more. You just go, what? What are you talking about? And this is what your reaction would have been had someone said, this whole, not only the temple, but the whole city is going to be raised. It's going to raise, R-A-Z, not R-A-I-S-E-D. Raised, leveled, flattened. It's going to be flattened, Jesus said. And so, and so the question naturally comes to the disciples, if I can have the next slide. The next slide, the question, when the disciples and the folks there are raving about the beauty of the temple, and uh, Jesus replies to them. And he says, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come when there shall not be one stone left upon another which will not be torn down. And they asked, teacher, when will these things be? And what signs will there be when this is about to occur? And now I've given the same uh, answer from Matthew, Matthew's gospel, uh, which gives us a little more insight into what Jesus is going to reply. 
when in Matthew, the disciples say, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So the, one of the issues with the Olivet Discourse of the Little Apocalypse that we're looking at, this section of scripture in which tons of books, by the way, have been written about these sections of scripture. Luke 21, Matthew 13, and Matthew 24 and Mark 13, those famous books like The uh, Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and Left Behind by Tim LaHaye, books by Chuck Smith and others, all are taken out of these discourses about Jerusalem and also about Jesus' second coming. And so one of the things that one of the things that we are that we are going to have to deal with is what is called the law of convergence. And that is when you're looking at scripture, uh, sometimes there are two periods of history that are being reflected. There are two stages, there are two stages. And there are two times in which, in the same passage, uh, Jesus is going to refer to. So it makes it a little difficult to interpret. But I think what's important for us is to realize that there are prophecies in the Bible that help us to live. There are prophecies in the Bible that should encourage us to be looking and sensing the times that we live in. So let's go to our, let's go to our passage and the, uh, I've broken this, uh, we're going to look at verses 20 to 38 in Luke 21, and I've broken this down into four sections. And the first is Jesus' prediction about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, he does not tell them when this is going to happen, but I can tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen in about 35 years later from the moment that Jesus is speaking. About 35 years later, this is going to take place. And Jesus is going to give them signs. He's going to tell them exactly what's going to happen. And they're going to be absolutely shocked and stunned over what they hear. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, recognize her desolation is at hand. Now, like, I would be on my face if I'm the disciples. But I start, if I started to hear this about the, 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 the temple that I loved and the city that I loved, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, recognize her desolation is at hand. Let those in Judea flee to the mountains and those in the city get out of it. And if in the country, do not enter the city. This is exactly opposite of what usually takes place in war. Usually in war, if there's going to be a siege, everybody in the country comes into the city and comes into the city for protection. But Jesus says, don't do that. You get out of the city. When you see armies begin to circle the city, get out. And if you're in the country, don't come in, go further away. He's encouraged them, telling them what to do. Verse 22, because these are days of vengeance. In other words, God's judgment's coming. And God's judgments, we don't understand God's judgments. We wince when we read God's judgments. We may be hurt when we look at the prophecies, especially in the major prophets like Isaiah, and, and we, we just studied Jeremiah a couple of years ago, but you need to know there's always something redemptive in God's judgments. There's always something good coming out of it. He said, woe to those, he said, he said first of all, he said, these are days of vengeance that all things written would be fulfilled. So there are scriptures and the prophets that speak of this time. Woe to those with child who nursed babes in those days, 
for there will be a great for there will be great distress, retribution, and punishment upon this people. Many will die by the edge of the sword, led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There's a lot there now. But just let me say, a terrible judgment is coming upon Jerusalem. 35 years after Jesus spoke this, in, in about 66 A.D. 66 AD, A.D. The armies of Rome began to encircle Jerusalem. And basically what the armies of Rome did is they starved the city out. They wouldn't let anybody in. They wouldn't let anybody out. And when it was all said and done, when it was all said and done, one million Jews had died in the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman army. When they breached the walls, they crucified dozens of people, and they took captive a hundred, they took captive a hundred thousand people and sent them uh, into other nations. It was a terrible terrible judgment. And God, God will, like, we, we wince about these things, but God will explain this to us one day. We'll understand one day more about his judgments. But when you read the book of Revelation, this is just kind of a, this is just kind of a picture of the book of Revelation. But it was a, it was a terrible time. And, and Jesus says, you know, if, if women are pregnant, you know, it's going to be hard for them to move around. And so he gives them lots of warning. What's really What's really uh, encouraging about Jesus giving us these words is that when the church in Jerusalem that was there in 66 AD and 67, 68, 69, and 70 AD, when the armies began to circle Jerusalem, guess what the church did? Got out of there. It left because they remembered, they had written down the words of Jesus. And the church left, and by that time, there had been many churches that had been planted by Paul and others. All right, let's go to our next section, which is the second coming. So I talked to you about the law of convergence, about how, how there, is, there is two sets of history within one text, two sets of time within one text. Jesus then is going to suddenly jump to a second coming, and he's going to talk about the signs of his second coming. And so he goes from 35 years from when he speaks to the end of the age to let us know some of the things that are going to take place. Now, if you want to have an expansion on this, you go to Matthew 24, which gives us about three times as much information. And you will find a lot of this in a lot of those books on prophecy, whichever ones you care to, care to read. Uh, there's all kinds of views about how Jesus is going to come, whether he's going to come before the tribulation or be in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation. I have no idea. I, I, I'm a pan-tribulationist. It's all going to pan out. That's all that I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all going to pan out. That's, that's, that's how I look at all of this. I don't think it's clear how he's going to come. But Jesus, before his second coming, says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and upon the earth, great distress among nations, perplexed at the roaring of sea and waves, men fainting from fear from what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things take place, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, this is one of the most powerful scriptures that we can possibly ever grasp. You need to understand what's being said here. 
Jesus is saying that before his second coming, there's going to be a lot of turmoil in the earth, and there's going to be uh, nature is going to be turned upside down, and there's going to be distress among nations. There's going to be wars, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff going on. But when you see this start to happen, you and I, who are believers in Christ, instead of our heads dropping down going, oh, there's so much bad stuff going on in the world, we're to lift our heads up. We're to go, gosh, God's moving. There's something good's happening. And that's what the, rule, that's what the true prophet is. The true prophet says when everything's going crazy in your life, God is really working. That's the true prophet. When everything, and when everything's going good, mm, you better like figure out like what's going wrong here. Is there something not quite right? That's not always. That's not like a perfect. That's not like a perfect scenario, but but true. So I, I look at this passage, and you know, know what I think of? I think of childbirth. I think of a mother in in travail, giving birth to a child, and you know the the labor pains and all that you go through. That, that, that you go through to, to bring that baby forth, you know, the agony and the anguish that you can go through as a mother. But when the baby's born, what joy? Isn't that true? What joy when the child comes and you rejoice and you forget your pain, you forget what you've gone through. This is going to be the travail that you read of in Romans where it says the whole earth is groaning, uh, uh, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed waiting for the return of Christ. And the church has waited for the return of Christ since the day Jesus spoke these words, which means at least for us, he's sooner than he was back then. <laughs> he's, he, he, he could be on the horizon. It could be a thousand years away. We don't really know. But Jesus uh, gives us this glorious verse to hang on. When you see the powers of heaven shaken, when you see distress among the nations, when you see natural turmoil everywhere, lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near. And I want to say this in your life. When your life can be at its worst, when everything's upside down, when you are suffering, when there are trials and tribulations, everything is going crazy, God is most at work then. He is applying the pressure and I've used this illustration many times. You see the shirt I'm wearing here? It, uh, it's been ironed. But somebody had to put an iron on this shirt because it was, when it was washed, there was tons of wrinkles in this shirt. And somebody put an iron on this shirt and put pressure and steam and elbow grease. And the shirt came out nicely pressed because of the pressure it went through. And when God applies pressure to your life, and you don't know what God's doing, and you're struggling, and you're groaning, and you're saying, God, I don't understand, I can't figure it out. He's taking the wrinkles out. He's taking the wrinkles out of your life. He's smoothing everything. But it can be the most difficult and most painful time. A plane can't fly without pressure. You can't fly without pressure coming. You don't change without pressure. You don't become more like Christ without pressure. Life doesn't become better without pressure. When there's no pressure, not a whole lot is coming your direction. It's okay to, to have those times of rest and grace. But here, it's a lot of pressure. All right, our next, our next section. The parable of the fig tree. Jesus told them a parable. 
look at the fig tree and all the, uh, and all the trees as soon as they put forth leaves, you will see it and know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, understand the kingdom of God is at hand. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So I have four sycamore trees in my front yard. They're just now starting to get buds. Had I been in Iceland for the past six months and just got home yesterday, I could look at my trees and I could tell you what time of year it is. I could tell you it's, it's, it's the beginning or mid, of, mid time of March, especially with all the rain that we've got. They're starting, they're st- it's starting to bud. And I could tell you, and so Jesus said, when you see these signs starting to happen, you know, realize that, uh, realize that the, the, the summer is near. These, the, the, the prophecy about Jerusalem and the second coming, these things are near, are near. Verse 33 is like a life verse for me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This book is what I hold on to for dear life. This is, this is, this is the, the lifeboat of my life. Everything else in the world can... It says the heavens and the, uh, and the earth will pass away one day, and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth, but Jesus' words are never going to pass away. This is the authority I live my life by. This is the very word of God, the living word of God. This is what carries me through tough times. This is where I put myself every single day to get me through the challenges and whatever God might be bringing my direction. These are the promises. Paul says the word of God, the things in the word of God are yea and amen. You can count on what the word says here. This is our authority. And if you don't live under the authority of scripture, and you're going to live under the authority of something else. And all of that is changeable, but this doesn't change. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And now our last section, of, uh, and this is really the most important section I want us to get. This is the section of application. This is how you and I need to live. Be on guard that your hearts not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, that that day should come upon you suddenly like a trap. So, like, we all need to perk our ears up for this, everybody. This is, this is God speaking to Little Church by the Sea on March 3rd, 2019. Little Church by the Sea, be on guard that your hearts be not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. But little church by the sea, Gil and Dan and Mary and Ed and Bob, all of you, keep alert and watch at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things should they come in our lifetime, should they come in our lifetime, all of us need to be poised and ready. Praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. Now, during the day, Jesus taught in the temple, but at the evening, he would spend the night on the mount called Olivet. 
And early in the morning, all the people would come back to the temple to listen to him. So we don't know. It, to me, it doesn't matter when Jesus is going to return. What matters is that all of us are ready day by day. And so I, I had some questions. I'm not even going to put those up because we need to go to the communion table. But, but I just, I just want to encourage you to, to, I guess the word is be poised. How many of you have driven from Bluebird to Legion Street on Glenary at dusk? A lot of you have done that. And you know, there's no stoplights. There's a few stop signs. And, and, and the crosswalks, they don't light up like they do on Coast Highway. And so when, I, when it's dusk or starting to get dark and I'm down at Bluebird and I'm driving towards the church at dusk, like I lean over my steering wheel and I'm looking like I'm watching as close as I can because sometimes, isn't it true, people cross the crosswalk in dark clothing? You can't even see them. Like I am like, and I'm praying in the car, God, let me see somebody. If somebody's coming across, you know, like I'm really, I don't want to hit somebody. I want to be, I want, I'm very careful. I'm poised. I'm, I'm looking with everything that I have in me. We need to be living our life like this, you guys. I don't know about you, but I'm going to give you a strong exhortation, even to myself. If you want to, if you want to live in that, you can take those, that notes, those notes off, you guys. I'm not going to go there. We don't have time. If you want to live uh, in that section that, talk about, that talks about you know, the worries of life and all that, just watch the news. Just, just watch the news for 10 minutes, and you're going to find yourself stuck in the worries of the world, self-medicating, doing whatever it takes to try to figure out like, what in the world's going on in this world. Just get your focus off of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and get your attention on Jesus Christ. Get your attention on the Lord. Because otherwise, you are going to be in a foul mood. And you're going to take sides, you know, and you're going to be arguing and getting all in a lather about what's going on in the world. Just look at Jesus right now. The church needs just to look at Jesus. That's what we're going to do with communion now. I've shortened my message because this is communion Sunday, but Jeff's going to come forward. But hear me. Let's stay poised and ready no matter what happens in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.